I'm the ex-officio legal representative on, on the Canadian Construction Documents Committee, CCDC. Why do we need IPD now? The truth is that uh, most of us uh, knew little or nothing about IPD. Welcome to the BIM Student Podcast. In this podcast, we talk to leaders, followers, innovators, and adopters from our AEC industry. Like a student, I ask questions that we all wanted to ask on our digital transformation journey, but never actually did. I explore concept, products, ideas, and future possibilities in digital transformation space. Each week, I meet with an amazing guest from the industry. I look forward to learn something new, share new experiences, thoughts, and opinions and how to make BIM journey better for everybody across the board. In today's episode, I will be talking to Geza Benfai. Geza is a widely respected lawyer by legal community and across construction and infrastructure sector. He sits as an ex-officio legal representative on Canadian Construction Documents Committee, popularly known as CCTC. He chaired CCDC's IPD task force that created CCDC 30, a standard form Canadian IPD contract. Let's talk to him and understand the key pointers under IPD contract and how can BIM be the most integral part of an IPD project. Welcome to my podcast, Geza. I'm so glad I'm able to have you as my guest and I'm really excited about what we're going to be talking today. Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. And it's a pleasure to be with you, Chetna. And Keza, I think a lot of people in industry already do know you. But for those who don't know you, would you mind giving a little bit of your introduction and uh, we'll take it from there? Well, uh, in my day job, I'm a construction lawyer. I'm counsel at the Toronto office of a national firm called Macmillan LLP. Great firm, great people to work with, and a fantastic construction and infrastructure group there. It's a real pleasure working there with that team. I've been practicing construction law basically exclusively for, pains me to say this, uh, over 40 years now. The years seem to add up without even you even noticing, but I've mm-hmm. been doing this a long time. That's the day job. You know, I've also done a lot and, and do a lot on the side involving the construction industry in one way or another. For example, I'm the ex officio legal representative on, on the Canadian Construction Documents Committee, CCDC. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that since 2008. Wow. And uh, among the roles that I play on CCDC, I was the head of the group that created the CCDC 30 IPD standard form contract which was published in 2018. We are presently reviewing and revising that contract Mm -hmm. to bring it up to date to accord with the ever-increasing experience of the industry in IPD and to make sure that the contract is as aligned as possible with what is actually going on out there in the Mm -hmm. industry. So that's a very interesting process. Mm -hmm. And I do other things. You know, I I was part of the Attorney General's Committee uh, consisting of a number of us that uh, reviewed and uh, created what is now the Construction Act in Ontario, a substantial revision of the former Construction Lien Act, among other things, introduced prompt payment and adjudication into Ontario law. And that's mm-hmm. that's been very exciting, uh, mm-hmm. very interesting. And I continue to be involved in that in other provinces as well. There's lots of stuff. You know, I do a lot of teaching, program director at a number of uh, Osgood uh, professional development programs, 
uh, including their certificate course in construction mm -hmm. law, which is now at its, I think, 12th year. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's been uh, uh, a nice success. People mm -hmm. respond to that thing. And mm -hmm. uh, there are other courses as well. So I just do a lot of stuff on the side and I that enjoy is, it very much. That is great. And you know what? When I bring a guest that's of your experience to, to any episode, I just feel that there is so much for people like us to achieve. Like we've actually done nothing. We're just done very little as compared to, and, and it feels like, okay, we do have a long journey to take. We don't have to rush for a lot of things that our generation right. does. I would agree. Right. But yeah, looking at guests like you, I'm like, yeah, we got time. We have a lot to achieve. Just get your hands dirty, get to work. And uh, yeah, I'm so glad we I'm talking to you here. Let's talk about IPD more. And that's what you're here for. Yeah. First of all, the process of IPD, like how did you get involved to the process of creating CCDC? And why do we need IPD now? Well, all good questions. And uh, let me start with the easy part, you know, how CCDC and me got involved in, in IPD. Mm -hmm. A few years ago, I think I'm going back now six or seven years, the then chair of CCDC, uh, Walter Strachan, who's now retired, championed within CCDC and within the powers that be the creation, a new standard form contract dealing with integrated project delivery as a model of itself. And full credit goes to Walter for that. He did the necessary to obtain the funding and the approvals required to embark upon that journey. And, you know, at that time, the truth is that uh, most of us uh, knew little or nothing about IPD. Uh, you know, I myself had a vague idea, but it was not a model that was then very prevalent in Canada. It had some prominence in the U.S. Uh, and was starting in Canada, but there was no standard form of contract. And, and CCDC's mission, as you may know, is to uh, create and keep up to date the standard form construction contracts for various project delivery models that are used throughout, excuse me, throughout the country. Mm -hmm. So this was a natural fit. We then established a working group, and I was the chair of this, and it consisted of about 11 or 12 people, most of whom were on CCDC, but it also included some people from the outside who had some IPD experience. And we met a lot. We met, I, I think, on the average monthly for probably a year and a half to two years Wow! Um, in the effort of going from ground zero to what is now CCDC 30. And it was an interesting process because the first few meetings, probably for a duration of five or six months, was spent in us on this task force reorienting our our worldview our thinking our paradigm i'm going to and i want to talk about paradigm shifts a little bit deeper as we go because i think it's important but it took quite a while for us to begin to reorient our thinking about project delivery to enable a meaningful discussion and analysis of ipd and and there's good reason for that because you know when you <laughs> when i reflect upon the people around that table there's a lot of gray hair around that table including my own and um, and so the collective wisdom of that group was measured in hundreds of years but all of us had spent our, our lives our professional lives working with the traditional models of project delivery design build, build design build cm mm -hmm. all of that that was our orientation 
And so when someone comes along and talks about IPD, you know, as they said in Wizard of Oz, we, we were no longer in Kansas anymore, Toto. We were in a different world, in a very different frame of thinking that we had to move into. So that, that took some time. And then we then we clicked. Then it, it clicked. Mm-hmm. And uh, we draft, you know, we, we a draft was created. We then spent quite a bit of time tweaking it and, you know, dealing with some very granular aspects of the project delivery that had to be addressed in the contract and uh, having debates. And uh, it was a very interesting process. And there were moments where, you know, people, people had a kind of crisis about the whole thing. You, you mm-hmm. could tell, you know, and we had to sort of pause and, and, and and uh, revisit core principles that, mm-hmm. uh, that you know, some of us were having some difficulty sort of getting our minds wrapped around, but it worked. And uh, what we ended up with was this standard form CCDC 30 contract. So thereafter, while all this is going on, IPD as a model has begun to mm-hmm. assume a greater prominence within the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, back at the very beginning of this, there was, to my knowledge, there was basically one IPD job mm-hmm. in Canada. It was the Moose Jaw Hospital done under another form of contract. Uh, and then, you know, the others began to be sprinkled along and, mm-hmm. and you know now we have some history of a handful of quite a large handful actually of IPD projects right across the country mm-hmm. and uh, so there's a body of experience that has grown up over the last few years there's still a, a bit of a wild west quality to the whole thing in the sense that uh, you know the industry collectively is still working towards some kind of best practices standardization of terminology mm-hmm. standardization of processes, you know, the, the better, the best processes and so on. So we're collectively working through that and, uh, you know, with more or less success, you know, what, one of the challenges is that, you know, there are, there are a number of different groups out there that are doing mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't necessarily spend a lot of time talking to each other, which they should. And so, you know, some of us are working to try to to try to fix that uh, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. make that better, at least. But uh, that's where we are right now. It's a project delivery method that is bubbling mm-hmm. and it's moving along. And, it's, you know, it's driven by the owner community. Now, like everybody's got little feet in the water. Everybody understands a little bit, or at least they've heard about IPD, at least yeah. in the industry. What exactly is IPD and why would we need an IPD contract? I mean, for some people, stipulated price contract works pretty fine, right? They just give the job to the contractor, the consultant gives their drawings, we, we're good, right? We don't have to. Yeah. Why do we need IPD in this day and age? Well, this sort of gets us to the paradigm shift idea. Okay, and, uh, you know, it's an interesting concept, and, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but the term paradigm shift was basically created by a scientist, a philosopher mm-hmm. of sciences, mm-hmm. and he was named Thomas Kuhn. Okay, and I don't know about it, but yeah, okay. Well, in the early 60s, uh, Kuhn published a book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. Mm-hmm which is must-reading. I've read it a couple of times, and uh, I, I keep rereading it. It was a groundbreaking piece of work. And what Kuhn, Kuhn took a look at, at how science progresses, and he found an interesting pattern. And I'm grossly oversimplifying his thought, but here it is. The, the pattern is that you have scientists go along with a certain model of how the world works. Mm-hmm. That's the paradigm. It's a model. And the model usually, you know, the model works for a time. The time can be centuries, 
but it does work for the purposes for the for the time period in question until you kind of reach a crisis i think hume uses the term crisis mm -hmm. the old model is no longer sustainable for what the scientific community sees and you know i mean a great example of this is the difference between Newton and Einstein. I don't know if you know anything about this, but you know Isaac Newton, in whenever he lived, I think the 17th century, the 18th century, one of the greatest minds to ever have lived, basically created what we call Newtonian mechanics, which explains how bodies in space work, you know, mm -hmm. how they move, how they attract one another and so on, you know, Newton's mm -hmm, apple, mm -hmm. all of that. And that worked for quite a while until scientists in, in the late 1800s and very hmm. early 1900s couldn't use Newtonian principles to explain what they were seeing in the electromagnetic spectrum in, in other places. Mm -hmm. You know, it, Newtonian mechanics wasn't explaining what they were seeing about how light behaved and right. stuff like that. So then along comes Einstein, who in 1905, uh, you know, creates special relativity and then general and his theory of general relativity don't ask me to explain those theories no, no 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 but the bottom line is that einstein's paradigm was radically different than mm. newton's in einstein's paradigm you know mass is not fixed it's transmutable into energy time is not fixed it varies and you know and but the thing was that einstein's worldview his paradigm as it turns out was capable of explaining stuff that the scientific community was seeing, particularly at very, very small scales, like at the atomic level and the subatomic level. So there, that was, in Kuhn's world, that was a paradigm shift, mm -hmm. but it required a crisis. And the crisis was that the old way of doing things, the old way of thinking was no longer working to explain what people were now seeing. Now, it's an interesting thing about the term paradigm shift. I mean, the business community has, has taken it up, you know, recently, and they generally use it very badly. Every time somebody has a new idea, they call it a paradigm, paradigm shift, but it's not shift. really a paradigm shift. But the essence of this paradigm shift is a fundamental change in how you view the world. So take all this thinking and put it and apply it to construction. It's no secret that the there are significant problems with the way in which construction is is being delivered. Mm -hmm. The problems manifest themselves, and you read this daily in the papers, you know, particularly in larger mega projects, but not only, but projects coming in over budget, mm -hmm. delayed, lots of litigation, lots of claims, and generally, shall we say, a less than completely satisfied owner and user community at the end of this. And this has been going on for a long time time. But the problem is that this has been, if anything, this is this reality about the industry it seems to mm -hmm. be increasing. I think it's fair to say that, for example, any significant mega project mm -hmm. is guaranteed to have claims, is virtually guaranteed to come in late and to come in over budget. Mm -hmm. There's something very wrong here. Mm -hmm. The other thing that uh, is a reality about the construction industry, and this was measured a long time ago by a professor in Stanford, it's the productivity of the industry. And there's a, an infamous, famous or infamous graph that was prepared by this guy where he, he studied and well, he, he studied the productivity of, of the construction industry in the US versus the non-construction manufacturing. And he did it over a long period of time, I think 1994 mm -hmm. to 2006 or something. Mm -hmm. And then he, then he graphed it. And the graph is 
pretty depressing. The productivity of non-construction manufacturing goes up steadily as you would expect it to. The productivity in the construction industry is at best flat. And in fact, you know, there are times where it's actively declining. And that study has been replicated in recent years, and there hasn't been much change. It's, in fact, it's the same pattern. Non-construction manufacturing continues to improve uh, in its productivity, whereas the productivity of the construction industry remains flat. Mm-hmm. And you know what that means to owners and users, you and me as taxpayers, is that you know as time marches on, we effectively pay more mm-hmm. for relatively less. Furthermore since we're talking about problems. There is, there is a lot of waste in the construction process. This has been studied quite extensively. There are something like you know, 10 or 11 different kinds of waste that can go on. This touches the productivity question. Not just wasted materials, but, but wasted man hours, wasted effort, duplication of effort, waiting around. I mean, there's a whole series of, of, of specific discrete items of waste that you can identify. And then when you, those who have studied the subject have come up with some, some numbers that are horrific oh. in terms of the percentage of labor hours that on average, are wasted on a construction job. We're looking at 30, 40, 50 percent, mm-hmm. you know, according to some studies. Materials, much the same. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's not no. just the material, but actual human power and human resource yes. that we are wasting. Yeah, it's a and, and all of this costs, and it costs at the end it costs owners, and you know, in the end it costs all of us. So the industry is. I think the industry is kind of reaching a crisis in the Kuhnian sense where, you know, the old way of doing things mm-hmm. just just isn't quite working for us anymore. Mm-hmm. So what is that old way of doing things? Now, we, now we're going to sort of get into IPD, but through the back door. If you look at how, for example, I think this goes to the, to the core. If you look at how a design bid build project mm-hmm. uh, looks contractually. It's a networked system of contracts. You mm-hmm. know, at the top, you've got the owner. Mm-hmm. And then the owner contracts with the architect and the owner with one contract, and then with the general contractor with another contract. And then each of those people subcontract and sub subcontract and so on, right down to the material supplier. And when you map all this out in a chart, you have a pyramid and, you know, with lines and, you know, in between the boxes being each of the parties, each line is a contract and that's design, bid, build. Design, build looks very much the same as does CM. All of them are these networked is all of them are a networked system of bilateral two-party contracts mm-hmm. you know right and you know when you think about this most manufacturing maybe all manufacturing is done like this and has been for hundreds of years and it works pretty well actually mm-hmm. you know i mean you know contemplate some contemplate the chair you're sitting on mm-hmm. and how many bilateral contracts it took to get from the steel and rubber and fabric and whatever, you know, is sitting in that chair that you're sitting on Mm -hmm. into the finished chair that you are now occupying. If you added it up, it would probably be hundreds of these bilateral contracts, but it works in manufacturing, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't work that well in construction. I think there are various reasons for that. A key one is that in manufacturing, manufacturers, what, you know, what, what do manufacturers do before they make the heavy investment decision to actually manufacture something? They build a prototype, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes okay. many prototypes. Yeah. And prototyping is, is relatively 
cheap, relatively risk-free. And while you're prototyping, you know, the manufacturer is actively encouraging people to change the design to make the prototype just as just as efficient and great as it can be. And then once the prototype is done and the and the manufacturer has decided that, you know, proceeding to build this thing mm-hmm. is a good idea, that there are people out there who want to buy it, then the manufacturer makes the heavy investment in proceeding to manufacture. Mm-hmm. But you know, at that point, you know, the basic ingredients of this thing, its price, its quality, its materials, the way to put it together and so on, all of that has been settled. Right. Right. The vendors know what they're going to do. It's easy. Yeah. All you got to do, all you got to do as a supplier up that chain is just supply what you agree to supply when you agree to supply it. And all that the person above you has to do is pay you. Mm-hmm. So it's relatively simple and straightforward. In construction, there is no prototyping. Mm-hmm. The building is the, is the prototype. <laughs> you know, you're literally making it up as you're going along the, the building or the piece of infrastructure. But, but that presents a challenge because you ought not to do significant design changes deeply into the process because the cost of effecting those design changes as the job goes on is astronomical compared to the cost of implementing the design change if it's made early. Mm -hmm. So there's a friction there in the system. Mm -hmm. You, Mm -hmm. you, You want to get the design right as early as possible and then proceed that way. Another aspect to construction that, that makes it different from ordinary manufacturing is that in construction, parties enter into this crystallized set of contracts at the beginning of the process, anticipating the future. Mm-hmm. The problem is we really can't anticipate the future very well as humans. Yeah. Stuff always happens right. in construction. Right. Always. Oh, yeah. You know, you find subsurface conditions that aren't, aren't quite what you expected. Uh, people sometimes don't perform as mm-hmm. you might expect them to. Mm-hmm. You've got weather events. You know, you've got supply chain issues now. You've got pandemics. Stuff happens in the period uh, over which this thing is supposed to, these set of contracts are to be performed. And so, you know, what do we do legally to account for that? Well, in these contracts that we entered into on day one, mm-hmm. we build in change mechanisms of one kind or another change orders, change directives, you know, mechanism. We, we, we try to think about these things and try mm-hmm. to address it in advance so that we anticipate the possibility of change later on and we mm-hmm. prescribe a mechanism for dealing with it. The problem is that when the change event happens, say three years in, mm-hmm. you're now three years in and that group of people now has a history Mm -hmm. and it may be a good history. Odds are it's not an ideal history. Mm -hmm. Odds are there have been tussles along the way. There have been controversies. There have been fights about one thing or another. There have Mm -hmm. been claims. God knows the level of trust within that group of people may or may not be as good as it, as it, perhaps was at the inception of the relationship. So you've, mm-hmm. you've got some trust issues. It's but like a marriage of, then. Well, it's very much. <laughs> that's a great metaphor. That is a great metaphor, Chetna. That, that's exactly it, isn't it? You know, you date. Mm-hmm. We call it procurement. <laughs> right. You know, then you have your marriage ceremony. We call that the closing of the, of the contract. 
And then you embark upon the future. Right. And, but here's the thing. In that crystallized web of contracts that I talked about between two parties, ask yourself, what is the primary interest of each and every member of, of each and every one of those silos? Their primary interest is their profit. Yeah, to make money. To make money. Mm -hmm. So when a change event happens three years later, in a situation where these people already have a history that may not be all that good, Mm -hmm. and where there may be doubt about who caused the change event, whose fault is it? Mm -hmm. And furthermore, what is the financial consequence of the change event? For someone who's trying to maximize his profit in a two-party contract, their incentive is to maximize the amount of their, the claim that they may claim as a result of someone else's alleged fault. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas the, the incentive of the person who has to pay is the opposite. So what you end up with is, is a very common, an all too common situation where you've got raging controversies and, and uh, an endless stream of problems. Now, you know, and, you know, what has emerged among other things is what I call, a, a, you know, a very healthy cottage industry of people like me mm-hmm. and other lawyers who are in the business of mm-hmm. assisting clients and adjusting entitlements like this. You also have claims consultants whose business it is to uh, assist people uh, mm-hmm. in recovering as much or as, or as preventing the recovery of as much as possible. It's an entire industry mm-hmm. that is there. But, you know, from the point of view of, of an owner mm-hmm. uh, or anyone else, uh, you know, you ask yourself, well, you know, what exactly are we contributing to the betterment of the world? Mm-hmm. It gets a little grayer and a little fuzzier, does it not? Yeah. Because all of that, all of that money, all of that effort isn't spent in building anything. It's spent in reallocating entitlements for stuff. It's, it's spent in an archaeological exercise right. of, of determining fault and, and damage and so on and reallocating. Right, right, and, right. You know, so that's kind of a bleak assessment of the state of the construction industry. So what happened then? Well, this is not the end. Our regular half-an-hour podcast would not do justice with the depth that is required for understanding IPD contracts. So we have split this episode into two parts. Next week, Geza will take us to the deep dive in the world of integrated project delivery and how does BIM become the most integral part of this project delivery method. So tune in next week to listen. Thank you.